0: Good morning, friends, I'm glad that you're here today. Does it seem to you like there's a there's an anger pulsing through our country these days more than usual? Uh, does it seem like that every time you turn on the news or look at, at a, a, a news site, there's new evidence of anger? Maybe in one case it's around racism, maybe in another case it's around a different ideology, or maybe it's because the government did something or didn't do something. But it seems to me like there's this. This pulsing anger through our country these days beyond what I what I'm normally used to. But I don't have to look out there at that level to see the anger. I was driving home a few days ago and I was at a stop sign. There was a car in front of me and another car waiting for the stop sign and and both cars left at the same time and and then one had to suddenly stop so there wouldn't be a collision. There was it wasn't even close to a collision. And I noticed there was a in one of the cars there was a, a mom with her daughter. And instantly, she raised her hand, started shaking her hand. And while you couldn't hear anything, the windows were up. She was shouting and yelling, and her face was contorted with anger. And I found myself wondering what the backstory was of that, what had happened that day, or what had happened that week, or maybe in her lifetime that would cause that. But I don't have to look out there at the stop signs. Last year, a company from Houston hired my wife, Marie, to come to a series of teachings to the employees. Teachings about about life and how to do life that might help their personal lives, but also might help the company environment. And so she was preparing for one of those weeks. It was a week on anger, and she asked if if she could use me as an illustration for it. It puzzled me, and I said, so you mean as an illustration of how I help people through anger? And she said, no, like two nights ago, like when you were angry. So she was reminding me of that night. I I had gone to the grocery store to get a couple items, and my goal was to get in and out, in and out fast. And a few of you would resonate with this. The rest of you, forgive me, but but through the years, I've developed this complex algorithm about when you see the checkout lines, which one goes fastest. And certainly you look at the number of items in each cart, and you do a quick math on that. But it's more than that. You you do uh, like personal profiling like, you look at the ages of the people that are in line, and you look at the posture of people in line, and if you see a line that, like, someone's, like, tapping on their cart like this, that's a plus. That line's going to go a little bit faster. They're in a hurry then. And so it, this was a no-brainer that night. There were several checkers open, and this one checker, there's only one person there. There was this uh, elderly lady there. Just a few items. There's it a no-brainer. But as always, I check the other lines to make sure when I'm done, I can applaud myself that the algorithm worked again. So... Um I'm standing there, and the checker does their job quickly and then waits for payment, and the lady, for some reason, didn't seem to realize that she would have to pay at the moment. And so she reaches for her purse then and begins to search for a checkbook. But, but search is uh, too aggressive of a word. She began to meander through her purse for a checkbook. <laughs> she finally finds it, and and I'm watching. I know what she's doing. She writes, she begins to write, K, R. And then she pauses and looks at the check and begins a conversation about it, just some mindless topic. They're conversing. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me! And so she finally finishes that. She goes back. She's done the K and the R. Now she goes, oh, gee. She stops again. She begins another conversation, another topic, and I'm dying there. Finally, she gets back to it. She finally she works through the entire check without more interruption, and then gives identification. She's finally done. So I think. But she's turned away. She turns back and says, oh, by the way, I'd love one of those cold drinks in the, in the refrigerator behind you. And I think, you're really killing me. And so the person who gets the cold drink rings it up, and then she realizes, oh, I have to pay for it now. And so then she begins to just meander through her purse for her billfold this time, and then she tries to find the exact change. I should have paid for the, everything to start with And she finally finds it And she leaves and everything and I, So Marie's reminded me I got home that night And I guess I wasn't happy And, and she said it, But she sounded like just a sweet elderly lady And I said Yes, but a sweet elderly slow lady And I said You don't understand At her age and the pace she was at I didn't know if she would outlive the exchange there <laughs> And if she didn't That would really slow me down And it was that last comment about slowing me down that made me the illustration at the company later on that week. And I could imagine the conversations after Marie's presentation, man, Marie has a, sounds like she has a jerk for a husband, wonder what he does for a living. (laughs) We don't have to look far, do we? Every one of us, if we're honest, we can, we can understand we all experience anger. So we're going to go there today and. And I think maybe even more so today, this has been planned for a long time, but in the midst of the Harvey recovery and the exhaustion, the fatigue and everything, we're all more prone than ever to anger. And maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've, maybe you've uh, overflowed with some anger at, at times. And so this is a key time for us. And anger, as you most certainly even know, can derail our lives. And when it does, there's damage and fallout to people all around us. And we've been teaching in this context of being derailed, and we've said very literally trains many times have been derailed simply because some of the railroad spikes have been sheared off or dislodged. Disasters have happened in derailment because this has been missing. And so we've said the key for us in, in each topic in this one of anger, the key will be finding the spike, the main spike, the most important spike, if I can put this one in place then I will very uh, be very unlikely to be derailed around anger. So that's where we're going. I need to give credit to Marie. Uh, she's given me a lot of insight here. She has a master's in Christian counseling. She's worked a lot in this area. And so the things that you hear that were helpful, they probably came from her. Uh, the others, not so much. But So anyway, credit to her for what she's given me here. Here's, here's the key passage for us that we'll use today. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Paul is writing led by the spirit he says in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold three three big things he says in your anger do not sin he's saying the emotion of anger in and of itself is not a sin just simply to experience anger in and of itself is not a sin it's how we respond to the anger what we do with the anger how we react to the anger that could become a sin that's very important to know. There's been probably a fair amount of guilt around this room because you feel angry about something. But but just the emotion of anger in itself is not a sin. That's the first thing he says. Second thing he says is do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. He's saying, don't sit on it. Don't let it simmer. Don't let it settle. We've probably all done that at times. We think it'll go away, it'll get better. And Maurice told me the analogy many times, it's like taking something stinky and throwing it in the bottom of the trash can, and you think, I'll just cover it up with more trash, it'll go away. It doesn't go away, Does it, it gets worse, it permeates everything. And anger is the same way, when Paul's saying, don't let the sun go down, he's saying, it, it won't just get better, address it immediately, address it right away. And then finally he says do not give the devil a foothold. He's saying this is one of the areas of life we could become badly derailed upon this one. If anger gets its clutches upon us, our lives can be derailed, and there's massive fallout of that. So let me begin with this. This is is the cause of anger. Anger results from experiencing a real or perceived injustice. In every case you can research and look at and navigate yourself, anger is the result, or it results from experiencing a real or perceived injustice. Maybe it's real, maybe what you perceive is right, maybe it's just a misperception, but to you there was an injustice done. And and that's what gives rise to the potential of anger, the emotion of anger. And there are two circumstances we'll look at. It's very important because how we respond will vary dramatically. One circumstance is when, when you are the victim of injustice. Okay, that's one circumstance, and anger will well up. That's a natural response when you're the victim of injustice. The other is when someone else is a victim of injustice. And many times you can think about circumstances about that. I'm sure that, that maybe there's a friend or a family member or a loved one, and there's been an injustice to them, and anger wells up in your heart on their behalf. Or maybe it's not even someone you know. Maybe it's just, it's just a principle that a human being, you understand, or maybe even a whole group of human beings is suffering from injustice, and there's an anger that wells up in your heart. Very different than than if it's something that happens in your life. Maybe in your life, uh, you know, the the lady at the stop sign. And that was this injustice to her life? She perceived it to be anyway. The, the grocery store night. That was my I have to say, that was my perceived injustice about what happened that night. A family member or a friend that does something that that's not right and not fair can cause anger. Maybe at work, you're in the workplace. And you're overlooked by for a promotion that at least you perceive should have been yours. There's this injustice at least perceived. Or maybe your boss has chewed you out most inappropriately. Very natural for anger to arise about that injustice. Maybe you're at school, you become the focal point of gossip. And very real anger will rise up because that's a, a deep injustice to occur. Maybe, maybe personally, from a personal sense, maybe it's just a sense of loss, maybe of health. If there's a health issue, a health problem, maybe you're sensing anger because you feel like that's, it's just not right. I, I shouldn't be experiencing this. Maybe it's the loss over Harvey, and there's been some substantial loss among us and far beyond us as well. Maybe you've sensed anger like, this isn't right. I, I shouldn't have suffered as I have this injustice. And so, again, there, there are two circumstances. One is where you're the victim. One is where someone else is the victim of injustice. How do we respond in each of those cases? And, and here's the railroad spike. Here's the deal that we need to learn to respond into is, is to follow Jesus' example when he was angry. Is to follow Jesus' example when he was angry. I want to touch first on how he responded when someone else suffered injustice. When, when he was present and someone else suffered injustice, how he responded to that. I give you three illustrations. First is in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Mark 3, 1 through 6. It's early in Jesus' ministry, but he's become known already as someone who, who would heal every illness, every wound, every disease he would heal. And he was also becoming known as one who was giving a whole different perspective of how Sabbath should be lived out. The perspective at that time from the religious leaders was Sabbath had these very strict rules, and you, you simply, profoundly, categorically, you rested. You did not expend energy, so they said. But as Jesus would point out, they themselves, if they had an animal that they owned that ended up falling in a ditch, they would expend energy to save the valuable animal they owned. And so Jesus was becoming known and speaking into this. And saying, Sabbath is not what you've been teaching, it is. And so this chapter unfolds, and, and Jesus walks into this synagogue. It was their church, basically, at that time. It's, it's Sabbath day, and he happens to notice there's this man in the crowd with a withered hand, or, or a deformed hand. And it likely had been that way his entire life. Maybe it had been injured early, but it'd be this way from now on. He sees this deformed hand, and and Jesus is looking around, and and he knows the hearts and the attitudes of some people there, so... He calls up the man to stand beside him up front. And everyone can see this. They already they know the man. He's from their town, their community, it's this little town. They know him. They know what Jesus is implying when he says to them, Is it right to do good on the Sabbath or not? Tell me. They understand. He's saying, Should I heal this man? In their time, it was a day of purely manual labor this man's life would have been deeply affected. His economic status, everything deeply affected. He said, is it right to, he said, you you understand, I got power to do this, I do this every day. Is it right to give this man a whole hand? And the ones sitting there have two good hands, and and, and they, they, not a single one would say, it's right, do it. Heal him, not a single one. So it says, Jesus looked around at them angrily, was deeply saddened by their hardened hearts the injustice done to this man and this was their neighbor this was a person in their community and and there's the chance finally the miracle chance to be healed and not a single one would say heal him please they're all sitting there going, no no way no way no way we got two hands we're good sabbath don't you dare work on the sabbath so how does jesus respond when he's angered by an injustice that someone else suffers He steps in and corrects the injustice. He heals the man's hand. Didn't care what other people thought. He heals the man's hand. In fact, the other people then decided then, it says, then they decided they would make plans to kill him because he had done that. He doesn't care. He steps into the injustice and he helps the person. He helps the person who's suffering the injustice. Second example, Mark 10 verses 13 to 16 it's a, another busy day there's a crowd of people there there are a bunch of adults around jesus and he's teaching them and blessing them and probably healing them and he discovers part way through the day that as the day's going on there have been all these families that have shown up and the families have brought children and they they brought their children so the children could meet jesus and face to face be blessed by jesus and the disciples have said they're not important enough only the important people like us, and maybe you adults can see Jesus, but they're not important enough. And Jesus discovers that. <laughs> this is what it says about him. It says, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. Why? There was this injustice to these children. Who did they need to see more than Jesus? This was the, this was the day of their life, or it could be, if they could actually get to him. <laughs> I mean, what, what bigger day would there ever be in their life than actually seeing Jesus face-to-face, there would be stories that their parents would tell them. There would be influence upon them. And the disciples were turning them away. There was this injustice to these children. What does Jesus do? He corrects the injustice. He says, let them come to me. And then he says to them, unless you become like children at heart like they are, you don't have a chance to ever make the kingdom of God. He, he helps them. He steps in. He corrects the injustice. I'll give you one more about when someone suffers injustice. John chapter 11 a good friend of Jesus named Lazarus had died four days before. On this given day, Jesus is, is walked to the village where Lazarus' family is. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, good friends of Jesus, and, and he meets them, encounters them. In particular, in this moment, he's he's with Mary, the sister, and Mary's weeping, understandably, just weeping and grieving, understandably. And and around her are all these other people that are weeping and grieving as well. And and into that setting, in their grief, it says, When Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. A deep anger, why? Not because they were sad and grieving. That's that's the natural healthy response to a death, a loss of a loved one. Not because they were grieving and crying. It's because he knew the the master plan for the world was no death, no tears, no pain, no sorrow. He and the Father created the world with that plan, and it was because of sin and Satan that all of that was shattered. The the moral fabric of the universe is so strong and so important that when it was broken by sin, by the temptation of Satan, everything shattered. Death entered in for every human being that would walk this planet. Pain entered in, and and, and he's seeing the grief caused by death, which was never intended for human beings. And he's angry at sin and Satan. And he knows what he and the Father are doing. He knows that for everyone that trusts him, there will be heaven to come. And there will be no death there and no loss there and no pain there and no suffering. He knows that. But, but he's looking at this planet now. And he's saying this, this, was, this should have never happened. He's angry at sin and death. Should give you some great comfort if you're grieving or, or sorrowful about anything great comfort of jesus response to you is is it would be to say you know what i never never intended this world to be broken by sin and and the sorrow and the suffering i never intended that but there's a plan for another place you trust me and you'll have a life without without another tear you trust me then so what he's done what he does then so there's this injustice that's been suffered by others what does he do He raises the dead man from the dead. (laughs) He corrects the injustice. He raises the dead man back to life again. He corrects the injustice. Here's the guiding principle for us. When anger wells up in your heart or mine because of someone else's um, being the victim of injustice, the the guiding principle is, is help them. Help them in whatever capacity you can step in and help them. It, maybe it's someone within your life and with your orbit within your orbit, and you can very practically help them. I would say this: be very prayerful about being sure what you do actually is a help to them. I can reflect times I thought I was helping; I should have paused and asked for counsel, and should have prayed longer. I thought I was helping; I was just hurting. Be wise, but but the principle is the same: help how you can, help where you can. In some cases. Uh, the victim is 3,000 miles away. You don't even know their name, maybe. You just saw an image, and this anger wells up. Like, no one should suffer that. At the very least, you can pray. And yet, prayer may be the biggest thing of all we can do for someone. The principle is this. Is when anger wells up in your heart, let it, let it fuel you to help the person who suffered injustice. Bill Hybels, a pastor in Chicago, has coined the phrase, holy discontent. It's around this idea that there's an injustice, there's something broken, and and something wells up within you, an anger that says it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Let let that be the fuel to be the answer to the injustice. Around here in the past year, give or take, uh, we started uh, something called Embrace Grace. It's for young, single, expecting moms. And the, I tell you, the... the uh, The anger and solution piece of that was this, is that we all know that to some level, a young, single, unexpected mom uh, may not deeply experience the love of God for her and for her baby, maybe because what happens in her house, or maybe what happens from her friends, or sadly, even what might happen in a church. And so there's some people here who had this um, sense that that's, that's an unacceptable injustice, Every young, single, expected mom should have a chance to deeply know the love of God for her and for her baby. And out of that anger and out of this sense that this is an injustice came this Embrace Grace here. And so now we're into our second year of doing that to help. And it's not big numbers. You you don't tend to do it in masses. You tend to do it in small numbers. But, But Embrace Grace came out of this anger and injustice done because there should be this love and grace extended Infusion is a weekend that we do, that we created for married couples, and the genesis of that was an anger about how life in society tends to pull away and make marriage more difficult. It seems like so many places that we have to navigate marriage that, that the pull is toward a bad marriage rather than a good marriage. And there was this sense of this, that's an injustice. Marriage is hard as it is. People deserve this great chance to learn to do marriage really well. And out of this anger at the injustice that, that that's not being done as fully as it could, infusion came out of that. To have this weekend to give people that are married, give them hope, give them help in how to do marriage really well. It came out of this... this um, Righteous indignation, this righteous anger, it just shouldn't be that way, that so much of the pull is, is to destroy rather than to build a good marriage. Catalyst is a ministry that uh, we've done for several years, had nearly a 1,000 people gone through. The genesis of that was there was this, this sense of injustice that someone could navigate all of life, maybe even navigate in church. And never have the best shot at experiencing the love of God, and, and and the sense of injustice that we ought to have. We ought to have the best shot, the best the best experience on the planet, of, of an environment a setting where you feel like profoundly loved by God. And out of that sense, this anger that man, there ought to be a better shot. We're doing at that came this thing called catalyst. And again, nearly a thousand people have been through it to find that let let the, when someone else suffers injustice and anger wells up within you, let it fuel you to help the one who suffered injustice. That's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled for us. That's, that's the stake in the train tracks for us is to do that. So what about the other case when, where you suffer injustice? The deepest, most horrific injustice of human history was Jesus, the perfect son of God, nailed to a cross by angry, evil men. It's the ultimate injustice ever suffered. He, he was the one who suffered the deepest injustice. And most of you would realize that while he's, he's nailed to the cross, he's hanging there in this excruciating pain, at the foot of the cross would be those people that nailed him there, and they're gloating at the foot of the cross. And in Luke 23, 34, it says what Jesus' response was. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In that setting of the deepest injustice, as they're gloating, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so for you and I, when we are the victim of injustice, the first step, Jesus says, is to forgive that person, to forgive them. And I I don't want to just pass by what that looks like. A year ago, I taught a whole Sunday about forgiveness. Let me recap quickly what it looks like to forgive so so we're all clear, so we don't try to short-circuit something. You begin by facing the wrong done. In other words, you have to be able to be... You, you become clearer about the details of the wrong done. You can't forgive if you don't do that. You wave your hand, say, I forgive, but then the details are going to come back to you. You didn't forgive those yet. You've got you to face the wrong done. Then you have to face the hurt and pain. In other words, you have to become honest about the cost to you, the emotional cost, maybe the financial cost, the relational cost. You have to become crystal clear you can't forgive it by waving your hands at it. If you haven't thought it out and said, I, I, I have counted the entire cost and I'm forgiving all of it. If you don't do that, if you wave your hand, the cost is going to come back to you. And you've not really forgiven it until you face it down. Then you need to, to face the resentment and anger and be honest. I, I deeply, I resent the person or what they've done. I'm angry at the person what they've done. And then you're ready to face the cross. And that's the step of saying, as much as they have hurt me, as as much as they don't deserve forgiveness, how much more so did I not deserve forgiveness? And yet Jesus died and has given it to me as one who follows him. I've been given that. To face the cross and recognize what I have now being called to forgive is so small compared to what Jesus has forgiven me. And then the final step is to determine to no longer demand payback. That's the forgiveness piece, determine. I no longer demand payback. They don't have to make it right. They don't have to make it up. They don't have to suffer. I simply no longer demand payback. Now, don't expect the emotions to instantly change. Normally, the the anger will resurface again. You don't have to forgive them again. You've already done it. It was a decision of the will. You've forgiven them. You no longer hold them accountable. The emotion may come back. And what you should do then is just Talk with God and say, I know I've already forgiven them. So God, help, help my emotions catch up to what I've done. And in time, you will. In time, the emotions will catch up with what you've done. The very first step is to forgive. And then Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 43, 44, to love and pray for them. He says, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, to love and pray for them. Have you tried that when the injustice is fresh? It, it's hard, isn't it? And I tell God uh, when I begin to pray for them and I'm asking him how I can love them, I tell him, I, I really don't want to do this. I'm doing this out of obedience. You tell me to. So I'm, I'm praying for you to bring good into their life. I'm asking you to show me how I can love them in practical, tangible ways. But I find as I do it consistently, my heart begins to change for them. Rather than this anger, my heart begins to be for them rather than to be against them. Jesus says, love and pray for those who have done injustices to you. And then finally, sometimes, two things to do sometimes. Sometimes discuss the injustice with the one who has imposed that upon you. Sometimes discuss it. I say sometimes because sometimes there's no relationship to even discuss. The lady at the stop sign, um, they both drove off. There's no one to discuss with. You know, the lady at the grocery store who I perceived had ruined my night and everything. There's, you know, no discussion there at all. Um, so sometimes there's no relationship. You don't need to take this step of discussing it. Sometimes you it's you can blow through it and it won't. The relationship will not suffer if you leave it alone. But be careful about that. I mean, don't be in denial and find that you chickened out on having a discussion about the injustice done. You chickened out on it, and it will affect the relationship. Be careful of that. This is the basis for it. Matthew 18:15. Jesus says. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. So he's saying there are cases, you recognize that this injustice will negatively affect the friendship or the relationship going forward. And he's saying, Don't don't settle for that. Go to them and go to them and with this heart. Go to them and say, You matter so much to me. And our relationship matters so much to me. I love you so deeply. And because of that, I want to tell you what I think happened between us. I want to tell you how it's made me feel so we can make it right. And usually if you couch it that way, usually someone will be most open to listen and do it with great humility and great honesty. And, and so many times, and I've been in the role on both sides of the Matthew eighteen fifteen many times, most times there's, there's great reconciliation. There's great reconciliation. You especially need to do it if, if the injustice done to you is likely to be repeated again. And it's going to erode the relationship again and again and again. And that's when you especially need to go and say, hey, this, this happened, and, and I want to get clear about what happened, make sure I understand. I want to tell how it's made me feel. So, so I hope we could come to an agreement where it, it wouldn't happen again. And many times that's the, that's the case, that's the outcome of it. If you're in a relationship and and, uh, there's something that will unravel it, diminish it, and you go to that person, and they're not receptive, and they do it again, and you go to them again and they're not receptive, and at some point in time, it's very appropriate to set boundaries in the relationship. I've had a number of conversations with some honest, humble Christ followers, and there's some important people in their life, maybe family in some cases. And every time they're around family, there's just like a hammer comes out, damaged done, and they have had the conversation, Matthew 18, 15, again and again and again, and every time the hammer comes out. And that's when it's appropriate to say, I'm going to set some boundaries so I won't be destroyed by this relationship. And hopefully it's not to completely terminate the relationship, but hopefully it's some boundaries to limit the time and places. It's what Jesus did. And Jesus selectively spent intense time with his disciples who were teachable. Spent very little time with the Pharisees who were not teachable. See, Jesus set boundaries. I'm sure the Pharisees would have loved. Man, they could have said, man, I'm, I'm best buddies with the healer. He and I, they would have loved that. But he set boundaries and, and chose who to spend his time with, and we should do the same as well. Okay, so, so when, when you suffer injustice, forgive, love, and pray. And then sometimes discuss, sometimes set boundaries. Let me give you some encouragement now. I've talked everything I've said so far is about what to do when you and I experience anger. There are three things I want to give you that lessen the amount of anger that you'll simply experience in life. Especially the anger caused by injustices done to you, that will greatly lessen the amount of anger experience you have. And I I came to this just in um, discussions with Marie, both of us realized that the last 30 years, we don't get angry about nearly as many things of injustice to us as we used to, apart from really nice old ladies that are slow at a grocery store, I'd say that. But but we are doing honest assessment and, and of each other, and it's just true over over 30 years, we just don't get as angry nearly as much or as often when someone would do injustice to us. And then I thought of this good friend of mine that has been a Christ follower for just a few short years, and he was so open before he became a Christ follower about anger was derailing his life. He, he had, his heartbeat seemed to pulse anger since he was ten years old, and he said it's wrecking me, wrecking my marriage, wrecking my kids. And so he became a follower of Jesus just a few short years ago, and and over time, uh, he's he's been changed, and his wife says uh, the, the anger is. Is so dissipated, and his kids say that. It's so evident in his life. And, and I want to give you three things that make that a reality, even if you're not intentional about the anger piece of it. One is, is overcoming insecurity. The first topic of this series, Derail, was insecurity, how it can derail our lives. And we said the, the solution is to, to see yourself as God sees you. In other words, if you understand, you're the much-loved daughter son of the most high God. That's who you are. There's almost this buffer around you that, that kind of cushions you or, or fends off offenses to you. There's this strength of you know who you are. And so if someone thinks otherwise, or they say otherwise, or they treat you as less than that, at the core, you know. No matter what someone just said or did, I, hey, I, I actually, I know who I am. The most loved son or daughter, the most high God, it just, it insulates to a degree, and there's less anger that would be experienced. Second is overcoming anxiety. It was the second week of this series about how anxiety can derail our lives, and and we said the answer to that is to see God for who He really is, specifically to see that He is for you, and He is with you. He has all power. And all of the worries we have about what might be or what's happened or what the future will hold and all, if we remember He's for us and with us, He has all power, it it dissipates the anxiety and it leaves so much more energy, so much more capacity to absorb injustices. When all of the emotional energy has been drained out about the worry and the fear and the what-ifs and everything, there's, there's not much capacity to absorb injustice. But if if you're filled up with emotional energy because anxiety isn't that big a deal anymore, you'll experience a lot less anger when injustice comes to your life. And one last thing I would say this is, is overcoming fatigue. And I say that especially because of what we've experienced through Harvey. Um, We had a staff lunch on Thursday. And near the end, I asked the staff, how many of you are just bone weary? Almost every single hand went up. And I said you you have to find right away find a Sabbath day or two to get refueled, as I know the work is endless, the ministry is endless but but and we really live in the in the rhythm of Sabbath, but it's gotten thrown off with a storm and so I would say to them you you have to find you have to get back now because if you're in utter fatigue, you're on one cylinder out of eight. How much good can you really do? And plus, when we are on one cylinder out, out of eight, just the physical fatigue, we're so much more prone to anger, aren't we? A lot of us in this room would say, man, I, I, I blew up. I experienced anger when I normally would not just from fatigue. And so I would, if I were to ask for a raise of hands here, if you're just bone weary, I think a lot of hands would go up. And I would say to you what I said to staff. Um... You you gotta get Sabbath, you, you gotta get restored, you gotta get refueled. For staff, it's it's gonna mean there are gonna be a bunch of people who won't be at work a couple of days this week. It's what they need to do to be whole again. And it's maybe what many of you need to do as well. And then when the injustices come, you'll be much more prepared just to fend them off and not even to experience anger in that. So so here's some conclusion for us. I want to you, I hope you can take this away. Remember that experiencing anger. Not a sin to experience it. Don't bear any guilt because you feel angry. How we respond is going to be the key to this, okay? And then remember to deal with anger immediately. Don't let the sun go down. Deal with it immediately. When you experience anger, the, the spike, the spike is, is follow Jesus' example. When when someone else has suffered injustice and anger wells up within you, let that be fuel to help them. And again, help with wisdom. Help with wisdom. Let that be fueled to help them. That's what Jesus always did. When you suffer an injustice, follow Jesus' model and forgive. do, Do the authentic steps to forgive. Love and pray for them faithfully. And then sometimes discuss or sometimes set boundaries. And as you and I step into that, then the chances of us being derailed by anger will go down substantially. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for sending your perfect son, Jesus, here to walk in our shoes and to experience every emotion that we experience, everyone, including anger. In fact, he's experienced everything we have except sin, except sinning, which he never did, but everything else. Thank you that he walked in our shoes. Thank you we can look at his life even now and see how, when he was here with skin on, how he responded to the anger that welled up within him when there was injustice help us help us realize like the pathway to be to stay on the tracks not be derailed with anger when when we are the victim help us remember the pathway that he showed us and then help us remember when anger wells up within us about the injustice someone else feels help us realize that that anger is just like Jesus feels when there's injustice and help us find the way the way of wisdom to do what we can to help Father, I pray this with much love and gratitude and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.